internet friends and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz. And as ever, we are here to brighten your days, anger your souls, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, you had something for this one? Just a, a little bit of, like, I don't know whenever we would talk about this otherwise, but the Halo TV series came out this week. And I took the chance to watch the first episode of the Halo TV show. I know you're not big on video games past a certain point. Did you ever play Halo? I played the first Halo okay. on, like, the first Xbox. And, and that's fair and that's fine. I was bad at it. And that's fair and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, as best I can tell, the TV show is... Maybe a prequel, maybe a retelling. Uh, what I want to talk about is how it is so very clear from watching the first episode that somebody at Paramount looked at The Mandalorian and looked at all the money Disney was making off The Mandalorian and said, I want one. And bought the rights to Halo or shook hands with somebody at Microsoft or I don't know. But it is like and, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing, but it is very clearly derivative. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Master Chief just kind of an attempt to combine Solid Snake and Samus Aran? You know, I've never heard that comparison, but that's pretty damn spot on. Well, and Samus Aran herself is a, like, subtle ripoff of Boba Fett in the first place. <sighs> there, there's, there, there, there's a group of our listeners right here who will take that sentence I just said about Solid, Solid Snake and Samus Aran and Master Chief and not know what the fuck anything means. Well, and there's also a subsect of our listeners who are now screaming at you. From the confines of their listening device. Yes, well, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I can outrun them. Sure. No, I mean, I, I watched the show, and it's fine. It's it's not as good as Mandalorian, but that is much more of a statement of how good the Mandalorian is. They, they really captured lightning in a bottle with that show, and I don't think you've watched any of it yet. I have not, which is rare for me given what a Star Wars nerd I am. It's just the fact that it's a TV show instead of a movie. Sure. That's been the biggest issue. I have been meaning to actually sit down with it. That said, I mean... <sighs> Okay, see, I was a Star Wars fan for whom, like, Boba Fett and later Jango Fett did not hold much... I didn't care that much about those characters. I never understood why so many Star Wars fans were so into Boba Fett. I didn't think, I didn't think his costume was that cool. He certainly didn't have fuck all to do in the actual movies. Sure. Granted, in the expanded universe, he's infinitely more interesting. And gets to ride a dinosaur. Yes, well... Um, and then when you get to, like, The Mandalorian, I've always just kind of sat there, like, with the concept of it and thinking, okay, I am here for Jon Favreau doing interesting shit. I will say, and I think I've, I think I've bitched about this on the podcast before, I don't know how many people remember this, but the original idea before both Solo and The Mandalorian was to do a Han Solo, Boba Fett kind of buddy 
not cop movie, more like buddy thief movie. Buddy bounty hunter movie. Well, like, just just basically Han and Boba Fett needing to team up, kind of quasi Thelma and Louise style to do some shit and it was going to be it was going to function as like that kind of a story and i'm sitting here like yo we could have had space western heist movie with young boba fett and young han solo and instead we got the solo movie which i liked is fine and the mandalorian which i'm told is very very good ultimately like these things these things have a way of working themselves out but i just kind of i wanted that Mm -hmm. i wanted that so badly and you know the mandalorian i'm sure is a wonderful show and i will get around to watching it just like i will get around to watching rebels which Mm -hmm. i know is its own giant excursion but it's just the idea of this Halo TV show effectively doing what The Mandalorian is doing, that legitimately frustrates me. Right. Because it does come back to being the thing where it... it, it we see this constantly. A- as soon as Game of Thrones happened, how many other streaming services or networks decided to do their own Game of Thrones-esque thing. Didn't you say that, was it Marco Polo was the one you really liked? Marco Polo was Netflix's answer to Game of Thrones and was the most expensive Netflix show ever produced and lasted two seasons. And let's be honest, that is the biggest reason why, is it Amazon bought a, bought Lord of the Rings? Right. Bought Lord of the Rings, bought The Expanse, bought The Wheel of Time. They're just fucking throwing darts at the board. Yeah, and they have that kind of money to throw at it. But really, all they want is a Game of Thrones. Right. Of some fucking kind. And I don't know, man. I like when we actually have interesting new shit. Yeah. And Mandalorian is kind of new enough for the modern, like cultural palette it is a it is a fun breath of fresh air in the star wars universe space western the man with no name protects a baby from the ne'er-do-wells of the universe and so for for that lightning to be caught in the bottle and then become the new thing that everybody's trying to pour into another bottle it is very interesting to me sure and i mean it's Sometimes it works out, you know. Supernatural was clearly trying to do what Buffy successfully did. And you know what? They did their own shit, and it kind of worked out. Worked out for like 20 seasons. I don't think anybody who worked on Supernatural is complaining. No, I mean, straight up. It's... it's... Alternatively, I... How do I put this? You had The Sopranos. And from The Sopranos, you had everyone trying to do the gritty anti-hero thing. Some of these things worked out nicely. Breaking Bad. Some of them... People like Narcos, I'm told. My parents like Narcos (laughs) for some reason. Right. And it's, it's just kind of a... I get it. I really, really do. I really do get this idea of let's try and have our version of that... It's just, there's, 
And maybe it's just the fact that there's so much good television out there. I'm really just annoyed with this idea of how do we chase after our version of the thing that exists. Yeah. I am more interested in the how do we come up with a brand new concept altogether. Mandalorian? Okay. We're going to take this great idea for a movie that we're not going to do for some stupid fucking reason. And we're going to go ahead and do this TV show. Give it to Jon Favreau, who is like, you give, I'm convinced you give Jon Favreau enough time to come up with a concept and he will give you an absolute hit. Yeah. He has not missed for what, the last 14 years? Yeah, pretty much. Granted, in that 14 years, he's done what? Five projects? Four projects? Yeah, about. Like, he's taking his time with everything, but he is knocking them out. Right, because there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We, you know, I I don't think we've talked about this on the pod, but you finally watched um, Watchmen. Yep. The, the HBO series. And, you know, I was just reading up on that show the other day because I wanted to. And... You know, it's a clear point. Shows like Lovecraft Country are directly inspired by trying to do something in the vein of what Watchmen did. Watchmen itself was effectively just, you know, hey, Damon Lindelof, we really liked what you did with The Leftovers, which you got because we really liked what you did with Lost. Can we, like, get another show like this? We promise you only have to write a season. And then he went, okay, then it will be good. I mean, straight up. And and apparently he, when he left the show, he was like, or when he didn't want to come back, he was like, I have told all the story I have to tell here. I give my full blessing if someone else wants to come in and tell stories in this universe. And apparently HBO has not said that they've completely written that off. Interesting. Okay. I don't know what the hell you're going to do. But uh, if John Favreau wants to tell a Watchmen spinoff story, if you get John Favreau and Regina King working on any project together, you're gonna have a fucking mega hit on your hands. Andy, I'm turgid. <laughs> well, then it's a perfect time to continue on. Thank you, dear listeners, and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, the, uh, the the pop culture corner. As much as it was a douchebag buffer this time, so. <laughs> Uh, yes, every episode we start off talking about whatever topic falls in our pretty old heads. Then one of us talks about something we love, the other talks about something we hate, and we take yours and the internet's relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. And Alex, this week you have the love. I do have the love, and uh, this is going to be a weird love for me, because it's rare that I like anything that corporate, but we're going to talk about it. I feel like there's this, this is a fruitful space for conversation, so... Andy, I'm going to give you a very basic request and then ask a question, hoping that it can spark an interesting intro here. So the first is for you to, as briefly or as at length as you would like, your choice, please describe for me the concept and use of the app Shazam, as you understand it. Here's where this is going to get interesting. Alex, I don't know what Shazam is. You have never used Shazam? I've never heard of Shazam. Andrew. 
I got your notes and I was like, oh, I didn't know Alex liked this DC comic character. And then I thought, oh, maybe he really likes that really god-awful movie from the 90s that never existed. You've never seen that logo before. No! Listeners, I just pulled up Shazam on my fucking phone. I cannot believe you've never used Shazam. So I stopped and I did not read your notes just so I can come into this as pure as driven snow and not like... Not to give you my fully authentic take. No, I have no idea what this is. Fascinating. Okay, so listeners, I have made a mistake here because I was operating on the assumption that Shazam is ubiquitous enough that Andy would at least, like, even even if you didn't have it, I assumed that you would be familiar with it. Okay, skimming, like, the first couple sentences just because my brain couldn't help it. I understand this is an app that you... Like, you're listening to a song and you don't quite know, so you tell this app to tell you what song you're listening to. Is this correct? Yes. I understand that as a concept. I don't think I ever used Shazam for that. I think I would, like, go on a web browser and clearly use some sort of fucking knockoff of this. So, like... The version of this that I remember when we were kids, before we all had smartphones, it was you'd listen to the song and you'd try and get enough lyrics that you could Google the, like, swatch of lyrics. That's still, that's what I do to this day. I did that last week. Andy, you should really download Shazam. All right, well, tell me more. (laughs) Okay, um... So for basic background, and I'm going to try and be as detailed as possible here, in its current form, Shazam, uh, not the DC comic book character, but like the application, is an application that can be downloaded to smart devices. You can also download it as a Google Chrome extension, uh, and you can use it to listen to songs as well as movies, ads, or TV shows. And it will give the user identifying information about whatever it is they're hearing. Fascinating. It does this using a, quote, audio fingerprint based on a time frequency graph and comparing it against the service's catalog of music and other media to ID it. So a very common experience, I guess, pre-COVID when I, you know, was in bars and restaurants is a song would be playing and would either be a song that I'd never heard before and I wanted info on, or more often it was a song where I was like, oh, I know this song. I know this song. Who is this song by? Mm -hmm. Who, Who the hell does this song? And that's like a very specific experience I can remember is sitting in a bar in Philadelphia when I was in graduate school. And for the first time in like a decade, I heard Two Princes by The Spin Doctors. Sure. Which, like, Andy, do me a favor, put a drop of a little bit of Two Princes right here. They're worth a drop. (laughs) Great song. And I was like, oh my god, I know this song. What is the title of this song? Because if you're just listening to the song, you don't immediately get that the title is Two Princes. The first line is, we're two princes here before you. And, but, like, I didn't know the Spin Doctors that well. I don't know any of their other songs, but I was like, oh my God, what is this song? And I pulled out my phone Mm -hmm. and hit the Shazam button and held it up. 
and like prayed that it wasn't so much background noise that it would fuck it up, which happens pretty regularly. Sure. But I like held it up and for like 15, 20 seconds and then it buzzed. And then I looked down and it's like spin doctors, two princes. Here's a link to the Spotify. Here's a link to the iTunes. Here's uh, I think it might've had a link to genius lyrics or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but that is something that would happen to me constantly. I use this in grocery stores. I use this anytime. I use it in the doctor's office when I'm just waiting. If there's just something where I don't know what this song is and I want to know, mm-hmm. that is Shazam. Okay. That is a very good app. That is the kind of shit I think of when like, I think of what should an app be. A little thing that'll tell you that song that you can't remember the title of. I think that's awesome. So I wrote this later in the notes, but I'll just mention it briefly here. I actually make a point that if they're as like we talk a lot about the shittier aspects of technology and the problems therein, and there's probably issues with Shazam, but this is legitimately something that I could see in an episode of fucking Star Trek. Your fucking Star Trek utopia, Andy. I could see there being a moment where something is playing mm-hmm. and, I don't know, Riker is like, computer, identify this song. Listeners, I'm so happy right now. That <laughs> sentence made me very happy. I, I, I see your point and I agree with it. Yeah, just like, I don't know, These Boots Are Made For Walking by Nancy Sinatra. He's uh-huh. like, computer, tell me about this. Analyzing. These Boots Were Made for Walking by Nancy Sinatra came out in whatever it was, 66, what I don't remember, but sure, sure. Like I could see that being a thing. So to give just a little bit of basic background on this, because I, I Shazam is not like when we talked about LibriVox a okay. while back. Okay. Um, you know, uh, listeners who've been around for a while, and if you haven't heard this episode, I recommend checking it out. I talked about LibriVox like probably a couple of years ago, yeah. which is an app that um, allows you to download public domain audiobooks read by volunteers. And it's mm. totally free and it's totally volunteer based and it's a great way to listen to really awesome literature. Um, and to me, LibriVox is like a solid good. Like you look into the history of it, it was based around like a dude just wanting to set up a database where people could do this and record shit. And all the people who edit the audiobooks are doing it via volunteering. And it's and it's a wonderful app. That is a good app. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Shazam is a good app in the same way. And this history will show that a little bit. Um, So, founded in 1999 by a handful of American-educated tech bros who met while working for a consulting firm in London, Um, and seriously, I could name them, like, their names are on the Wikipedia, but I don't actually care that much about any of them. Uh, (laughs) Sure. Shazam Entertainment Limited is the company that originated what we now know today as the app Shazam. This was fascinating to me, um, especially because I remember back when, what was that service where you you'd like text a question and it would shoot you an answer, Chegg or Chig or... Careful now. Also, I have no idea. There was something, I don't remember what it was called. Anyway, the earliest version of this service was released in the, uh, just in the UK markets in 2002 and it was called 2580. It was a short code that was actually dialed on a telephone number to, that, and then you dialed that on your telephone 
on your cell phone. Mm-hmm. It would then call the number, call your number, and there would be a 30-second call that would record the audio. The call would automatically hang up after 30 seconds. It would analyze it, and then it would text the user back with the title and the artist of the song. Later versions of it would also include a hyperlink of where you could buy it, usually on like iTunes. So that was a service that was available in the UK in 2002. In 2004, a version of it launched in the AT&T wireless network, originally free with statements that it would cost 99 cents per use in the future. Mm -hmm. By 2006, the UK model was charging 60 pence per use with a four pound 50 pence unlimited option uh, that came with an online service that would store your tags, that would store the songs that you listen to Mm -hmm. and like let you know, oh, you search for this, you search for this, you search for this. Also in 2006, uh, it launched an an app for Amped Mobile uh, coming to iPhone and Android two years later. And over the years, it's grown its catalog of songs and its user base until Apple eventually acquired it in 2017 for $400 million. It is currently listed as the fourth most downloaded app on the Apple App Store. So the biggest reason I wanted to give that history is to basically state this app much like so many of the very tech bro-y kind of things, much like your Instagrams, which were eventually acquired by Facebook, right? much like um, a lot of the tech industry applications and BS that we have, this is, this really was a venture tech bubble capitalist item. These tech bros had an idea for an app and they were like, cool, let's develop this and we fully intend to sell it. This company took like, I think, 17 years to actually turn a profit, which if you know anything about tech companies is super fucking common. Yeah, Netflix still does not technically make a profit. Yeah. Fucking Tesla does not technically make a profit. Exactly. So... I am not going to pretend that Shazam is an in- innocent application. Its founders were tech bros. The fact that Apple now owns it means it almost certainly is being co-opted for weird privacy-destroying BS. Right. Um, it's almost certain that my Shazam app is giving Apple data about the music I like to listen to, and therefore they're marketing shit to me. Well, and just the idea that, like, real quick, because this is the first negative I keened on, the idea that... Okay, in theory, you have to tell your phone to listen to a song. You're telling me there isn't some, like, backwards compatibility thing where it just always has the microphone on and it's sending that to a private server somewhere? Never mind the fact that you probably have nine apps on your phone that are already doing that. True. Yeah. True. So, it's, it's making awful people rich. It is not a neutral application. It's not LibriVox. That said, when I think of the dumbass ideas that are getting shoved down our throats by tech companies, be it fucking Facebook's metaverse bullshit or self-driving cars that don't really work or or what you've shown me of the video game industry Mm. and video game companies shipping products that aren't even finished, that are already broken... Let the consumer play test it. Or with fuckloads of DLC to even make the damn thing functional. 
this is one of the few and only tech apps that I truly feel was a good idea from the start and is still doing a really great service. Like Shazam does one thing yeah. and it is a legitimately useful thing. It is the kind of thing that I feel like computer dorks sitting around in the 80s and 90s were, would like be listening to something on the radio, not know what it was and go one day, there's going to be the ability to tell the computer to analyze the song. It'll hear it and tell me what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... So I, I'm not Googling lyrics anymore. I'm not. I'm able to just pull up Shazam and figure the fucking thing out. Is it perfect? No. I'm a classical music fan and a symphonic music fan. Shazam is notoriously bad at analyzing mm. that particular thing. Because what is what what tends to happen... Like, I was listening to a new uh, German version uh, or a German orchestra version that just came out this year of Mozart's Requiem in D minor. Guarantee you, if I pulled that up on Shazam, it wouldn't know which version of Requiem in D minor to do. Right, because, or... Because there, there have been, like, nine versions of that that have come out this year alone. Exactly. Or just the idea of, like, somebody is using... Rec somebody's using the Blue Danube as a drop in a Rihanna song. And I think you play at the Blue Danube and it, it pulls up, oh, are you trying to listen to this Rihanna song? Or in, or in a TV show. Sure. Because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, like, I know that I've heard the fourth movement in a hundred TV shows or movies, including fucking Amadeus. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that shit is all up and down several scenes of Amadeus. Right. And is it going to tell me that I'm listening to the fourth movement of Requiem in D minor, or is it going to tell me that I'm watching fucking Amadeus? It's not perfect. Sure. You know, I've... That said, I something I did for fun once. This I don't think this is in my notes. This is just something I did for fun once. Um, I I pulled out Shazam, turned it on, and I started singing "One Week" by the Bare Naked Ladies to see if I could get the tone close enough that it would actually recognize it, and it fucking did. <laughs> It wasn't even one of the... Because there are several covers of that song, too. It wasn't even one of the covers. They were just like, nope, you're, this is Bare Naked Ladies. One week. And I'm like, cool. I can hit that pitch well enough that I fooled the audio fingerprint software. I, I love that that brings you joy. I mean, the thing I'll say is like, okay, this is innocuous in every sense of the word. I... I, I I argue the tangible benefit this provides to the consumer beyond saving somebody having to go, oh, I know the fucking, it, it saves you that. And that's that's very good. And I like that it saves you that. It's not, no, no life is ever going to be saved because like you're able to determine that you're listening to The Nookie by Lint Biscuit. But... It does this one thing very well. It provides slight benefit. It's not trying to be something more. It's not, nope. The, the, the folks who invented Shazam are not going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. 
Mm-hmm. And that is tangibly a good thing and for the good of humanity. So. Did you know, uh, I also didn't put this in the notes. Did you know that there is a game show called Beat Shazam? I did not. So Beat Shazam is a Fox game show. It, uh, I just pulled it up here. Uh, it premiered in May of 2017 and has been renewed by Fox for the last, for every, it's still technically ongoing, I think. Its most recent season was delayed because of COVID, mm. but it did premiere in June of 2021. So it's run for four seasons and there, it hasn't been canceled yet. Jamie Foxx is the host. <laughs> and the gameplay is basically um, three teams of two players each competing through multiple rounds to identify a series of song, banking money for every correct answer, and they have to identify the song faster than Shazam does. I am not mad about that. That deserves to exist more than the masked singer does. I, I, you know what? I would say that that deserves to exist more than, what's it called? Million Dollar Pyramid? Yeah. Like that fucking shit? Sure. I, I'd say that, I'd argue that probably deserves to exist more than Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Cause just because, you know, fucking well, yeah. Foxworthy doesn't need more money. And is proving himself to be a real fucking boomer douchebag lately. Yeah. So it's it, that, like that game show. I've never seen a single episode of that game show. I've seen commercials for that game show and been like, I should go on this. <laughs> sure. Like more than I should go on Jeopardy. I should go on this show. I am recalling a afternoon at a hookah bar where some non-single Blink-182 song was playing and a guy sitting on the couch with us pulled out his phone and held it up in the air and then knew what the song was. And it's occurring to me now in this conversation, he must have been using Shazam. He must have been. So I've, I've seen other people use this. I just didn't have the words for it. At the end of the day, like, I'm a music guy, and I'm one who listens to a truly ridiculous, insane amount of music, mm-hmm. and I'm always looking for the songs. I'm always looking for the information on them, whether they're songs I know or songs I don't yet know. Um, I've, I've had dope-ass songs come up in TV shows and been like, yo, I want to know what this is because I want to track this down. Um, Shazam is one of the first apps that I download on any device I get. My tablets, my phones, like, I always have Shazam. Shazam, I'm going to just show this to you. Like, Andy, this is my goddamn homepage, and there's my Shazam right next to my Play Store. Yeah. I always have Shazam here. Prominently displayed. Yes. I actually use it. It actually does me a solid service, and I have found and rediscovered tons of music through it. Sure. I wasn't even aware that it worked for movies and TV prior to prior to doing this research. But knowing that gives me an even additional use for it now when I come across dope shit via TikTok or YouTube. It's just, it's one of those things, again, that you'd, you'd think would be readily available in your Star Trek utopia future. And here it is. Computer, identify this media. And it fucking does. Yeah. And for me, that one tiny... It's just one tiny beautiful thing that I want to point out in love because we have, I I, I am awash in Twitter Nazis and Facebook boomers sharing anti-vaccine shit and metaverse 
and Elon Musk being a piece of shit and Apple destroying entire nation economies so that they can get the fucking little crystals that go in your iPhone. Like we are awash in tech company horseshit. And here's one app that is not an indie developer. Mm -hmm. It is not like, you know, today I down, today I downloaded an app called um, SBL Groove Training because there is a YouTuber that I like called Scott Devine, who runs a channel called Scott's Bass Lessons. And it's all just content for bassists. Mm. I love this YouTube channel. And I was watching one of his videos today while I was folding laundry. And he mentioned that he has an app, a free app that has a metronome and a tuner and has um, like a looping drum machine thing. Free app, ad supported. And I was like, yo, I have a metronome app that I don't like that much. I have a tuner app that I don't like that much. I'm going to download your thing because I like you and I want to support your content. And it's free anyway. Sure. The apps aren't, the, the ads aren't a big deal. That is niche. That is one dude who has a small business where like he just does YouTube and like sells people bass lessons on like bass courses online and people subscribe to it and like. I support that shit, but this is a legit large company. Mm -hmm. Like, is it Apple large? No, Apple bought them, but they were a big company. They're on a lot of phones, a lot of devices. Yeah, big enough that they were worth buying. And again, fourth most downloaded app on the App Store. I don't know what the first three are, but the fourth biggest app on the App Store, and all it does is just let you know, hey, yes, this is in fact an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Here's the IMDb information on it. Here's the people who are in it. Here's the music that's going to appear in it. Yes, here's this Blink-182 song. Check it out. Here's the album. Here's the name of the song. Here's the personnel on it. Here's where you can listen to it on Spotify. By the way, we'll save all of the tags that you've done. Because if you want to make a playlist of them on Spotify, or if you want to, I don't know, do other shit. Like, oh, we're hearing all this shit about how terrible Spotify is these days. And I'm seriously wondering if it's ethical for me to continue my Spotify subscription or if I should switch to fucking Tidal. Mm. Still working on that one. But Shazam, which is a capitalist endeavor by tech bros just coincidentally happens to be offering me a decent service for free that is actually useful, actually good, not because the people involved in it are good, but because it was a good idea. And I fucking want that. We found the good one. <laughs> we, we did it. So that, we is, got it. that is my love, Shazam. I am amazed to know that you had not heard of it because I thought it was very like ubiquitous and universally known. I mean, I am too now. I'm amazed. I just downloaded it. So. Okay. I, I look forward to seeing what your experience of, of it is. I will tell you if there's a lot of background noise, it's not going to work so well. Yeah. But if you're just listening to something, I mean, hell, turn on the radio in your car and just put your Shazam up to it and see what it does. It's, yeah. it's cool as fuck. I will come back and report with further results. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm excited about your hate. In the meantime, this this has been a long time coming. We're going to hate on J.K. Rowling. 
So, to start off, Alex, can you give me, because I, I remember mine, can you give me your grade school impressions of both the Harry Potter books, if you remember, mm -hmm. and the original movie, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, when it released? So my story with Harry Potter was I was, um, I think, comparatively late to the game versus some of the people I knew. Um, my dad actually gave me a copy of the first Harry Potter book. Uh, my dad worked in a hotel and it was super common for him to come home with just shit that people found in the rooms. You know, he was tight with all the maids and sure. they'd all just like, he'd come home with chargers or, you know, random shit. Um, and he came home with a copy of this book and he was like, Hey, you know, they're telling me that, you know, this book is really popular right now. And, and it was, it was Sorcerer's Stone. And I was like, okay, cool, that's fine. And he's like, yeah, I know you like to read. And I think it sat in a desk for like a couple of years. Um, and then I remember when the fourth book was out. The fifth book had not yet come out. Uh, and I think I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit older. Um, I finally was like, oh, you know what? A lot of my friends tell me this is really good. I will go ahead and check it out. So I read the first book, really liked it. Um, I think I bought the second book with like allowance money and then I read the next two books via library checkout and was very, very engrossed. I was never a like, I was never a go to the Barnes and Noble for the midnight release Harry Potter fan. Um, I remember seeing the movies. I think I, I think think I saw the first one in theaters. Mm. I know I saw several of them in theaters. Sure, sure. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah. And I will say for my part, like, my entire family was, for a time, huge Harry Potter people. Mm -hmm. um, I remember... I don't even remember how I discovered it. I think through my cousin. My cousin and was telling me and at the same time my aunt and uncle were telling my mom and dad about these books that are just so wonderful and amazing. Um, I was in like the third grade and my mom is reading Prisoner of Azkaban first because we didn't understand, oh, that's the third book in the series. Gets to the part with a Dementor sucking out somebody's soul and is like, I think this is too advanced for a third grader. We're going to put this away. Um, but the movie came out when I was in like fourth grade. It was a whole big to do. The, we got every book. We saw every movie. I got the fifth book like the day it came out. Like it was like an important thing that my grandma took me to the like fucking grocery store and bought it from the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Like the movies played on repeat in my house for a chunk of time. My dad got every single book on tape, which was narrated by Stephen Fry. And that was what we would listen to <laughs> on road trips. I got a story about that, but go on. But so, yes, we're, we're, we're talking about the Harry Potter franchise because it is impossible not to talk about it when we are talking about the person who wrote it, who is Jennifer Kennifer Rowling. Not I her name. I refuse to acknowledge her as anything else. Jennifer Kennifer Rowling, who was born in Gloucester, England in 1965 and is most famous today for being a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, a fucking turf, who does not believe transgendered people have the right to exist and is formerly known for writing the Harry Potter book series. All right. I am completely here for this. Um, can I tell my Stephen Fry story real quick? Go ahead. So, yes, Stephen Fry 
recorded all the Harry Potter books for, for audio. Um, and you can decide for yourself whether this is a funny story or a story indicative of what an asshole J.K. Rowling is. But um, Stephen Fry apparently offended her at some event. My understanding is I think he made some comment effectively about like, oh, it's so wonderful that you write these children's books. Something like that. I don't remember. I don't know exactly what it is. But she took huge offense to it. And at one point, up to the book that he had recorded at that point, um, he had stuttered on the word pocketed it or the Mm. phrase pocketed it. And that's just a thing that Stephen Fry cannot say. He always adds an extra syllable. It's always, it's it's like Benedict Cumberbatch saying penguins. It's just like, (laughs) it's a thing. And so he would always, he wouldn't say pocketed it. He'd say pocketed it. Like it would be a problem for him. And J.K. Rowling made a point to in all subsequent books include the phrase pocketed it. Jeez. Just because she knew that it would fuck him up. Y'all, if you don't know if this is news to you, I'm sorry. J.K. Rowling's a fucking bitch. <laughs> there, are, there are other names I would like to call her, but I won't so that we can publish this episode. That said, I, I make my contempt obvious, but first and foremost, I don't think it's possible to overstate the popularity and the, the importance to pop culture Harry Potter is. Like, it is maybe the most significant piece of pop culture since Star Wars A New Hope came out in 1974. I mean, I would put it on par with Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones is something that came out later, but I would put Game of Thrones in that same tier. It is a cornerstone for pop culture at this point. Yeah, it is It, it is its own subgenre. Like, you have fantasy, you have young adult fantasy, and then you have Harry Potter young adult fantasy. Yeah. Which is arguably just as big as the other two combined. Like, the books, the movies, the theme parks, the brand came out at the right time and set the world ablaze, which made J.K. Rowling one of the single wealthiest authors alive over the span of a decade. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to make the argument that Harry Potter either revived or outright birthed the modern-day young adult fiction craze. And for what it's worth, I think the books are mostly wonderful. So I want to, like, I'm I'm putting all this preface up there, like, we loved the books. I think if people love and enjoy the books and the movies and all of that, I think that in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Yeah. That said... (laughs) At the same time, I think that given the context we have just established of what a a monumentally giant thing Harry Potter is, what a cultural touchstone it is in the modern day, all that fame, recognition, everything about the platform has made Rowling perhaps the most powerful threat to modern day LGBTQA plus rights. And she wields that power incredibly irresponsibly, and that is why I hate her. And we're going to expound upon that. I am all for it. So, to go back for further personal context for the person, it's important to recognize J.K. Rowling's beginnings. Um, For once, 
Rowling is not, to the best of my knowledge, the beneficiary of nepotism in any way. No. She's not royalty. She didn't have a famous uncle. Joanne Rowling grew up a poor, nerdy girl who loved fantasy novels, had a single mother, and I think it's those comparatively humble beginnings that give her a very real outlook on life. But I use the term real outlook on life as both a positive and a negative thing. You know, it's positive because J.K. Rowling is a noted philanthropist. J.K. Rowling literally gives hundreds of millions of dollars to charity, and that is in and of itself as a singular fact, wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the bad thing is she has very common human biases that have colored both her work and professional life or both her work and personal life. I don't know how substantiated it is, but I do know that it's a very common thing that went around the internet for a long time that JK Rowling is possibly, I think maybe the only noted case of a billionaire who stopped being a billionaire due to charitable donations. Sure. I don't know that for a fact, because I just read it a bunch on Facebook and Tumblr, but it is a thing that went around for a very long time. Right, and I I just, in my research, I think the technical answer, the best answer, is that J.K. Rowling was never technically a a billionaire, capital B, but that is because of so many charitable donations that made it so that even with the wealth that she currently amasses, like she balances that where she is just a hundred thousand millionaire. <laughs> Which, you, again, this is the thing we always say. Billionaires should not exist because they should give their fucking money away. And J.K. Rowling gives her fucking money away. But there is just so much of it. <laughs> Sure. Um, because I don't know where else to mention this, and it's not like the 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 uh, keystone of my argument. The Harry Potter novels themselves have a few incredibly problematic elements, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Um, the ones that come most easily to mind for me are the paper thin stereotypical allegory between goblins in the universe of the book, in the Harry Potter universe, and Jewish people in real life. Uh, so for those of you who are not Harry Potter fans, um, it is canonical in the book that there is a central wizarding bank in London called Gringotts. Uh, and Gringotts is run by goblins. And Exclusively! Go- yes, this is their business, and the Goblins are described as short, with very large noses, who are very just obsessed with the money and keeping track of the money and running the money efficiently, and this is who they are. They are the banker creatures. They are the nasty little banker creatures who are genuinely unpleasant and will stab you in the back if it means that they get a little bit more gold in their coffers. And aren't they so gross and disgusting with their big old noses? Mm -hmm. People have expounded a whole lot of ink about how it is, at best, a very poor metaphor for stereotypical anti-Semitic sentiment. Yep. So that's, that's the big one. And that is still going on. Like, we're not going to talk about this much. There is a fucking... 
they are making a Harry Potter MMO, a multi-massive online game. They're making Warcraft, but it's Harry Potter. And apparently the main bad guys in that game are going to be goblins. So we have a, a, a major game coming out where the bad guys are a Jewish allegory, but neither here nor there. The other big one that I know gets talked about a lot is the... Um, pandering inclusion of Albus Dumbledore's sexuality. Again, if you're not a Harry Potter uh, person, Albus Dumbledore is a central character in Harry Potter. He is the central mentor figure. He is the good and noble leader that Harry Potter looks up to. And after all the books came out, J.K. Rowling went on Twitter and made a point of being like, oh yeah, Albus Dumbledore is gay. And people went, Jennifer Kennifer, is there any uh, allusion to this in the books? And J.K. Rowling went, no. Which is a double-edged sword because you don't have to have a overt sexual content no. for the character to be of a any specific sexual proclivity. For the purposes of the character in the story, he has no sexuality. He never expresses... Uh, he has no love interest in the course of the story. He's just kind of an old man. A confirmed bachelor, which is maybe the most textual bit you can get. But, right. like, by that same token, like, fucking Minerva McGonagall, the better of the two characters... Um, the more ethical of the two characters sure. would also be queer. And so people uh, very quickly and immediately went, it sounds like you're just doing this because now you don't have any books you have to make and you want to keep your name like top of mind to people. Mm. But okay, Dumbledore can be gay. There's no problem with that. I will say I'm surprised. Uh, one thing that I, I'm surprised you didn't include um, is the house elves. I thought about that. And the biggest thing I can say is, yeah, so so to catch people up, there is a, a slave race in the uh, world of Harry Potter that, like, by and large, good people, morally good people, just kind of go, yeah, they're the slave race. They do slave stuff. We, we make slaves of them. They're also real loyal and love being slaves. And there's a character who gets his freedom and is happy about that. But then gets a job wherein he gets paid like like they offered him this much money and weekends off. And he was like, no, I'll just take one day off a month and get paid this much. I like freedom, but I don't want too much of it. And that is... But I'm Dobby the house elf. <laughs> um, neither here nor there. When I saw the trailer for the second Harry Potter movie and there's a shot of Dobby, he fucking terrified me. He's terrifying, so... But the only reason I don't automatically include that one is it is a it is the main thing for one of the main characters to be like the activist and she gets mocked for it constantly so you know what fair that is that is absolutely another one i was willing to give joanne the slightest amount of credit as like well she makes it clear it's kind of fucked up hermione makes an entire hermione who comes from the muggle world from the non-magic world is like yo wizards it's fucked up that you have slaves i want to try and start an organization that will like 
try and rescue these slaves. By the way, I'm going to call the organization SPEW. I don't even remember what the acronym was. No. And everyone is going to make fun of me, and the plot line is going to be dropped pretty quickly, but it's going to be played for comedy, because <laughs> activism for slaves? Why? Fair enough. I, I have no problem adding it to the pile of bodies Ugh. in this metaphor for the awful things J.K. Rowling did in the Harry Potter books. Yeah. But the main thing, the the you know, I, I said it at the top, it is, I would argue, what J.K. Rowling is most well-known for right now. This is her legacy. This is a real-life thing. This is not in the books. J.K. Rowling has championed and become the, the champion. Arguably the most famous and influential of the TERFs. Exactly. Um, championed the idea that transgendered people are invalid, predatory, and a subversive subsection of the population using identity politics for personal gain. Um, the, the inciting incident that, that blew the cover on this was um, a woman had been fired for making transphobic comments, and it was this whole big thing in the news. And Rowling tweeted, and I quote, Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you. Live your best life in peace and security. But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real? Which, to just break that down, because that could be misconstrued as, like, what's the big deal? That is spitting in the face of the transgender struggle. Mm-hmm. And it is a very popular talking point right now that, like, transgender acceptance is actually just another form of misogyny. Because you'll have men who say they're actually women taking jobs of real women. Rowling then, when this was immediately met with controversy and, and public outcry, followed up with a tweet, If sex isn't real... The lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. And, okay, I want to be the dialectal one here. Sure. And just state, because I know that we have, I know most of our listeners are pretty woke, um, but I also know that a lot of pretty woke folk um, don't necessarily have the toolkits they need to argue with this kind of bullshit. So I want to state up front, the idea of this whole force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real, and then following up with, if sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. The existence of transgendered people does not suggest that sex is not real. All it does is, A, affirm that sex and gender are not the same thing, mm -hmm. and B, assert that both of those concepts are more complicated than what your primary school education probably led you to believe. And the thing of it is, you don't even need to go to transgender people in order to have that, intersex people exist. Sure. So the idea, and not only that, intersex people, like, 
are suffering. Intersex people get gender mutilating surgeries at birth to make sure that they fit cleanly into one sexual or gender identity or the other. Mm -hmm. Chromosomes are a complicated subject because not everyone is born cleanly with two X's or an X and a Y. This this is coming up a lot in these art in argument recent arguments about transgender athletes because the real counterpoint there are intersex athletes who might identify with one gender but if you actually like do a chromosomal test doesn't necessarily work out that way but they are visibly the sex that they identify with sex and gender are far more complicated than people want them to be and this conceit that to acknowledge that transgender people exist and are valid is to remove the concept that sex is real as well as erase the experiences of cisgender women is categorically false Mm -hmm. on a Socratic level. When you encounter this shit in the wild, this is what you have to talk about. You cannot take... That is begging the question. That is assumptive on such a deep level. It's not that sex isn't real. It's that sex is more complicated than you were taught to believe at a young age, JK goddamn Rowling. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, saying I know and love trans people sounds a lot like saying I'm friends with tons of black people. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and it becomes... Otherism, it becomes us versus them, which serves no purpose. And one of the most frustrating things I I personally think about trying to be woke is so many times you see somebody who is pushing the bar only so far, and then they say anything beyond that, you're actually ruining something else you cannot support transgendered people without hurting women without hurting feminism the logic that acknowledging transgender people erases women's experiences is the same logic that said if you allow gay people to get married it will ruin straight marriage right or it's it's even saying like it's it is a person who identifies as a lesbian like talking shit and invalidating bisexuality it's yes yeah it's such a frustrating thing um but so like i said i I think this has become rowling's defining identity the wealthiest and most vocal turf on the internet today in reading between the lines of rowling's personal history it's very clear that rowling who is a documented survivor of domestic abuse and sexual assault has really tragically let that trauma create calloused and inaccurate biases towards trans people. Because that is, that's the argument everybody made is, oh my God, we can't let a man into the women's bathroom. They'll do an assault. When studies have shown overwhelmingly that the, the people who identify as trans and want to use the bathroom of their non-birth-assigned sex, have no interest in 
performatively assaulting anybody. They just want to go to the bathroom in the goddamn way that they feel comfortable. If you are listening to this and you have used a public bathroom, you have shared a bathroom with a transgender person. Yeah. No, you cannot always tell. Shut the hell up. Yeah, exactly. And like the the reason I hone in on Rowling, in in a famous creative figure, in an actor, in a director, in a writer, this is a tragic sentiment. But as we spent the beginning of this section going over extensively, in the hands of the most prolific young adult literary mind of our generation, it is dangerous because there is so much cachet with the Rowling brand and the Rowling identity. And this is the person who defined our, our, who gave our children wonder and magic for a generation. They're a good person. Clearly they know what they're talking about. And if they're a turf, then you know what? There must be something to what they're saying. Rowling has been directly quoted in the American Senate. And I highlight American because they are a UK citizen and always have been. Um, specifically by a Republican senator in 2019 who quoted the author while blocking an LGBTQ anti-discrimination bill. There was a bill called the the Equality Act, which was going to provide like protection for workplace discrimination. And it got vetoed in the Senate. And one specific person like name dropped Rowling and quoted her. Um, to, like, provide his argument as to why this is not a good thing. And the fact that Rowling is influential enough to be referred to in political discourse shows why it is a uniquely dangerous thing for her to be so vocally outspoken against the human rights of a section of the population she is personally made uncomfortable by. Today, at day of recording, Vladimir Putin said Russian culture is being canceled just like J.K. Rowling. Vladimir Putin, president of a nation who is currently invading another nation, is arguing that people are, are attacking Russian culture and citing this children's author as like a favorable comparative. And like I said, this is this is as damn near breaking as we get on LHR. And Twitter at the moment is rightfully using this as ammo to roast Rowling and being like, hey, Jennifer, hey, Joanne, um, the president who is unjustly invading another nation says that he's like you. This should be proof you're on the wrong goddamn side of history. J.K. Rowling is maybe, maybe the single most topically popular creative mind alive right now. I am I am trying to come up with... I've only got one that is equally transphobic, mm. and that's Joe Rogan, who we've already yelled at. Oh, you know what? Fuck, sure. Um... And maybe that's part of it. Maybe maybe it's because there is a, there's controversy to be had and there is discourse to be made that is keeping Rowling pertinent and alive in the public consciousness. But either way, it is just so disappointing that somebody who 
is influential to damn near anyone our age or around our age or younger regardless of sexual identity, gender identity, lived experiences. Everybody fucking loves Harry Potter. And it is so disappointing that the author is deciding in the twilight years of her life to say, you know what? Trans people don't actually exist. Honey, she's not even 60. Uh, No, she's 65. She's 65? She was born in she was born in 65. Oh, I'm mixing that up. I'm gonna yeah. cut that. <laughs> <laughs> there is a subset of person who we will Andy, you and I live in a world of a decent amount of not even just like we've talked about this. You're left of liberal. I'm a leftist. We are spoiled in our discourse. Sure. We, you know, the the TikTok algorithm certainly gives us a certain skewed perspective of things. My Facebook list is more people I agree with than don't agree with. The people I keep in my immediate friend group, generally speaking, are more on my side of topics than others. I have been in the room with people in my extended family who, when the topic of transgenderism comes up, have visibly shuddered mm. out of disgust. Turfism, and I and I want to reiterate the term, trans-exclusive radical feminism, is born out of second-wave feminism. And it comes from a lot of people who identify as liberals, but don't have a fucking clue what they're doing in terms of proper progressivism, in terms of proper care for marginalized communities. Sure. I say this coming from communities of color. Communities of color are especially bad at this. I will say that up front. And if any of you have a problem with me saying that, come at me on Twitter. I will win because I know what I'm talking about here. When it comes to someone like, as you put it, Jennifer Kennifer Rowling, <laughs> yeah, he's that a playing the second wave feminist card on this, because I believe that J.K. Rowling doesn't have an issue with gay people. I don't think she's uncomfortable standing in front of that. But when it comes to transgender issues. The important thing here is less about Rowling than about comprehending what is happening with trans people right now. Mm -hmm. There is currently in Mexico an extensive movement that is trying to roll back every protection trans people in Mexico have. And they are meeting progressive demonstrations people coming out and protesting with women trans exclusive radical feminist women coming with baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire to assault trans people 
We here in the United States are dealing with a slew of anti-trans bills. Yep. Things banning the any sort of education on queer topics, especially trans issues. I remember seeing a post by a rabbi recently where his entire argument for why he supported trans rights was, I don't like kids killing themselves. And the fact of the matter is, that is what you deal with when you do not support, I'm not even saying be neutral, support trans rights. You have children who kill themselves. And as someone who was a children who tried who was a child who tried to kill himself, not for those particular reasons, you have no idea how easy it is for that to happen. Yeah. J.K. Rowling doesn't need money. You can steal her books or buy them from used bookstores. J.K. Rowling does not need attention. What you need to do when someone quotes J.K. Rowling at you is point out the issues there. You can enjoy her media without supporting her. I've talked about this on the podcast extensively. You have as well. At the end of the day, we're talking about people's lives. And to support or even remain neutral in the face of someone of J.K. Rowling's influence or Joe Rogan's influence or the United States Senate's influence, or the state of Texas state, or the, or Texas's state legislature's influence, is to remain neutral in the face of children dying. And if you're okay with being neutral with about children dying, I don't believe in God, but I hope he exists just for the sake of having mercy on you. Shall we move on to our question, Andy? Oh, God. Yeah, let's please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You did our format. And and I want to say very aptly put. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so you did our format. I will read our question. I found this one. And I rather enjoyed this it. This is a refreshing left turn into content that isn't going to make your soul hurt. <sighs> My husband, 44-year-old male, is mad that I, 38-year-old female, have a picture of actor Willem Dafoe, 66-year-old male, <laughs> important information, <laughs> on my phone's background slash home screen. The question, Will Dafoe is fully clothed. I chose the safe-for-work, non-NSFW photo because I like his pose, crouching down and looking out at the water, and his colorful outfit. It's a picture from the Life Aquatic movie. I don't like that movie very much, actually. But not, as, not, not his best work. This is not the first time that Husband has made comments revealing jealousy or insecurity over the recent years. But it has come to this. Mad about a picture of a senior celebrity slash actor fully clothed? He's brought it up three times. I feel like he's just picking anything to be mad about nowadays. Background info. I rotate pictures on my phone screen, meaning I change the photo to a different photo once a month. So my photos slash phone backgrounds vary from pictures of my children to artistic backgrounds, landscape, inspirational quotes, funny memes, and now Will Defoe. I told him he could have a picture of Dolly Parton on his phone and I wouldn't be mad. He was disappointed that I wouldn't be mad. Input appreciated as to, is this normal? 
What does it all mean? Okay. So we need a, we need names. We, we need do. a name for this asker, first and foremost. Does anything come to your mind immediately? I'm, I'm trying to think of famous Willem Dafoe lovers. <laughs> Mary Magdalene. <laughs> nice. Oh, but then I have no idea what the husband would be. <laughs> So okay, here's here's what I know. I remember that um, what the fuck's her name? We just saw her in Ever After, the stepmother from Ever After, Angelica Houston. Houston. Okay, so I I remember the Life Aquatic has Angelica Houston and Bill Murray as Steve Zissou and Steve Zissou's wife, whose character name I forget, but it's Angelica Houston. I feel like this works. I feel like I feel like that works enough for what we're talking about here. Uh, I do need to look up that name because I refuse to give an Angelica Houston character Bill Murray's wife as a name. That's Eleanor. Fair. Eleanor Zissou. God damn it, Eleanor! Why do you have to say it like that? You couldn't try to break it a little bit nicer. She's a rich bitch, you know. She's raised by maids. So I'm comfortable with Steve and Eleanor Zisu here. Okay. And then Willem Dafoe is Klaus Daimler, but we'll just keep calling him Willem Dafoe. Exactly, as as we should. Okay, so we have Eleanor Zisu from The Life Aquatic. God, I did not like that movie. I read, do you want to start, Andy? Yes, I, I will. And I mean, so I'm staring at the picture. If you type in Willem Dafoe Life Aquatic, it is the first thing you see. It is Willem Dafoe crouching by a harbor. He is... The, the way he's posed, he's almost covering his junk, which is covered, and there there is nothing lascivious about this photo unless you're a real thigh person. Or, yeah, I was going to say, if you're really into cat. If you're really into calves or red beanies, that is the only way you could get any sexual thrill out of this. I think this is a very silly issue. And, and, and I say silly because I think the husband is just straight up being silly here. Like, I think it's, I think, I don't think it's silly that this is a, a problem in these people's relationship, in Eleanor and Steve's relationship. That is concerning to me because y'all are both well grown ass adults yeah. on the wrong side of your midlife crisis probably um or maybe not in the in the husband's case but like there's nothing lascivious about this photo there's there's nothing to go on because Eleanor states that she changes the photo often and it just so happens that this very good meme-worthy picture of Willem Dafoe is the current background. I think Steve's jealousy in this is just that. It It is patent jealousy and insecurity in a, in a very shallow manner where, homie, you you feel threatened by the fact that it's not your face on your wife's phone? Yeah. It would be one thing 
debatably still not a valid issue, but it, it would be one thing if it was Eleanor's childhood best friend of the opposite sex or Eleanor's ex romantic partner who they stayed friends and and it's a picture of them that would be cause for a conversation at the very least but the fact that it's just willem dafoe in a in a 20 year old film it's not even very good not even wes anderson's best not even the best willem dafoe role in a wes anderson movie yeah by the way, apologies for Nico barking, but there was someone in our hallway and my neighbors aren't allowed to exist. Indeed. Um, yeah, no, I mean, just this is this is so shallow, I think. And I, I think Steve needs to be called out for this. It sounds like he gently was with the illusion of... And, and I very much love that there is a comparable... In the Oscar's mind between Willem Dafoe and Dolly Parton. There's a threesome. Jesus. Um, this this has been very softly pushed against. I think this needs to be more pushed against. Hmm. I have not had random actors as the background of my phone screen. But you know what? Actually, I kind of have. Because I had Karen Gillan as Nebula from the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise as my iPad lock screen for a long time. I have had various different uh, comic book and anime characters grace my phone screen. I've also had the art of Dave McKean grace the background of my phone screen. And it's never been a thing because why would it be? I like this. I, I agree with everything Andy is saying here. I kind of want to zero in on a different part of this question. Okay. Namely, there's two things in particular that you write here, uh, Eleanor. You write, I feel like he's just picking anything to be mad about nowadays. And then later, when you um, are talking about the Dolly Parton on his phone thing... You wrote, he was disappointed that I wouldn't be mad. Mm, sure. To the first one, I am going to say that that is not necessarily a healthy approach to this. Mm -hmm. If he is looking to just pick a fight, you two clearly have something deeper going on here. Now, is it possible that you are just interpreting him as picking a fight about tiny things that don't matter? Yes, that is possible. It is also possible that, yes, you are right, and he is just picking anything to have a fight about. Um, in the former case, you need to really examine why it is that you are so dismissive of his feelings. In the latter case, y'all should probably figure out whatever it is this deep-set issue he has that he is picking fights. Yeah. I can't give you that answer based on the information given. However... This whole thing about he was disappointed that I wouldn't be mad. Your husband, Steve, seems to think that jealousy is a sign of love. That jealousy is indicative of love. And that is toxic. That is extremely toxic. To be clear, 
I'm not saying that, like, he needs to have compersion over the idea of you staring at Willem Dafoe's photo. I'm not. I am saying that if he is sitting here going like, wait, so if I put Dolly Parton on my phone, you wouldn't be mad? I'm really sad to hear that. It makes it sound like you don't care. I love the accent you're going with. <laughs> That's the thing, though. It's like, it's him resenting you for your being secure in your relationship in a way that he just isn't. Y'all need to talk about this. Sure. Y'all need to talk about the fact that, like, jealousy... Jealousy can come from a few different places. It can come from a place of feeling like you lack control where you should have it. That is very toxic. It can come from a place of insecurity and feeling like your partner is wanting something beyond what you're ever capable of giving. From what I understand of Willem Dafoe's penis, I understand. Um, <laughs> you know what? That's a valid point. But again, the junk is damn near covered. In, indeed. And you're right. I looked up this photo when Andy said it. Like, it's a, it's an innocuous photo. The point is, Steve needs to have this... It's not just the call-out. It's the addressing of the issue. Sure. Steve might have something deep-set that he needs to work on, or there might be something in y'all's relationship that he doesn't feel confident in. Could be that he needs reassurance. It could be that he needs a reality check. Either way, I'd say he slash the two of you probably need therapy. Um, but I recommend that all the time. So what are you going to do? The point is, I think that along with Andy's call out, you should be having a conversation about why he feels so insecure. Now, maybe phrasing it as why are you so insecure is going to be counterproductive. But asking what's really going on, because this, I have difficulty believing this is really about the picture on my phone. Yeah. Being willing to phone. Yeah. You brought this up three times. Why are you disappointed when I say that I don't care if you would have Dolly Parton? I don't care because I know at the end of the day that you love me and you want me and you're not pining for something impossible or else right like i am confident in our relationship are you not if you're not how do, can we talk about that can we delve into that can we find out if there's any way to address that together this could be an opportunity to bring you all closer together um at the very least it could be an opportunity for steve to deal with his bullshit because andy's right this is bullshit yeah so, Eleanor, I'm just going to say, like, take everything Andy said, do the call out. You are right in this. This is not a bad photo. This is not a big deal. And the fact that he's making it a big deal is a problem. The way you address it could be, hey, this is a problem. Stop being a douchebag. Or it could be, hey, this is a problem. Stop being a douchebag. Also, honey, what's going on? <laughs> So maybe run with that and see what you can do with it. Absolutely. I like that. So we list, we wish this listener the best. If you, dear listener, have any Willem Dafoe-related uh, relationship queries or issues or fights with your significant other over his enormous penis, 
We would love to hear about it. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be about Willem Dafoe. We will take any and all relationship questions, be it about a pet, a co-worker, an actor with an enormous penis. <laughs> Just to double down on that joke and really beat it into the ground. Oh, you can send God. all of those. He said beat it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You can send all of those to love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com. We promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Um, you can also uh, rate and or review us on any and or all of those. Helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. Uh, check out what we're tweeting about. We love to talk about uh, old topics. Uh, just today, Andy posted up on there about some Machine Gun Kelly shit. Because fuck Machine Gun Kelly. Um <laughs> And you can also DM us with your questions there. Absolutely right. Uh, if you want to follow us personally, I'm Andy Bowell. You can follow me at Jovocop2113. Or if you want to see what I'm painting, you can find me at Andy's underscore minis. Or if you want to hear more about the films of Wes Anderson and a whole bunch of other uh, iconic filmmakers, you can find my other podcast, Cult Fiction, that I do with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. All of those are on Twitter, and Cult Fiction is everywhere you can find LHR. Please tell me Rushmore is on y'all's list. I think so. God, I fucking hate that movie. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, chess.com, and lichess at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z Thanks for listening, y'all. As ever, please tell your enemies. Mm-hmm.